Matthew chapter 6. And verse 9, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Jean Valjean is the protagonist in... Um, Victor Hugo's magisterial book, Les Miserables. Uh, He was sentenced to five years in prison for committing uh, what would, I think, seem to many of us something of a a pretty minor uh, offense. And while in prison, though, he attempted to escape four times, with each time years added to his sentence. He's there 19 years, and when he emerges, he's, uh, he's really a hardened criminal, and he he, um, he hates society. He blames society for the man that he's become. And yet, after receiving the unexpected compassion of a, of a priest who took him in when no one else would, he begins to change. And, and the story, as some of you know, it records for us his lifelong attempt uh, to acquire redemption, to redeem himself uh, from his past sins. He becomes a respected businessman. He um, is, is philanthropic with his money. He becomes the mayor of a town and does much good there. But the past is always haunting him. Uh, he changes his name. He lives life, though, still always looking over his shoulder uh, in case the law might catch up to him. And what was the crime that set all of this into motion? What got him thrown into prison for the initial five-year sentence? It was that he stole a loaf of bread for his starving sister and her child. Granted, his is perhaps an extreme example, but our life will be on a trajectory that's not much better if we do not learn the secret of this petition. Uh, because the, the problem for Valjean wasn't that he was hungry, that his sister was hungry. Uh, and, and the problem for him is not solved by changing his life around, uh, by doing good, by becoming a philanthropist. The problem that he has his whole life is the same problem that he faced when he made that decision to steal that loaf of bread. And the problem was this, he did not have God. He did not have God. He did not rely upon God. He did not find in him his everything. And so all sorts of problems will, will arise in life if, if we do not have and hold on to God. This is such a simple prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Perhaps we might even suggest it seems inconsequential. How important, really, is it to pray for daily bread? Well, as we're going to see, there's a lot more packed into this prayer than simply asking for a meal. We are acknowledging that God's the one we need. And and when we don't get that right, then we're going to look to all sorts of things to satisfy us. 
And it doesn't need to be something extravagant, something crazy like uh, drugs or, or money. We might even look to something as simple as a loaf of bread. Well, let's consider three things about this petition tonight. Uh, seeing all that's really in there when we say these simple words, give us our daily bread. Uh, first, we want to see that this petition, this prayer, actually it promotes God's glory. It promotes expansive prayers. We'll get to that in a second. And finally, it promotes a contented life. First, this petition promotes God's glory. Now, we with our children, I imagine you, if you have children, have had to do this from time to time. We need to remind them of the difference between a request and a demand, right? Give me my apple juice. Okay, was there, was there a question mark there? Did, did the voice kind of go up in that lilt that we expect from questions? Or did it remain resolute as a non-negotiable command? What was the tone that was used? Give us this day our daily bread. Does this seem um, a little like we are, does it sound a little like we're kind of stomping our feet and telling God what we want? Are we saying, gimme, gimme? Well, no, we're not. And part of the reason we know that is because of where this petition falls in the prayer. This is the fourth petition, fourth of six. And it is the first petition in which the prayer turns to our needs, our concerns, our personal desires, whereas the first three are focused on God, God and his glory. Now, uh, four, five, six seems as though it, the light turns to us now. And, and in some sense, that's true. But when you see that the first three are all about God's glory, that's how we're meant to interpret the, the remaining, remaining three. Um, it's not as though we have gotten through the God stuff and can get to the me stuff. Rather, we have meditated and prayed upon God's glory so that it would infuse um, our, all of our petitions, so that it would be still the controlling aim of our prayers. This is what Calvin says about it. He says, The second part of the prayer follows in which we descend to our own affairs. We do not, though, bid farewell to God's glory, which, as Paul testifies is to be seen even in food and drink. There Calvin's referring to 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat or drink, do all things to the glory of God. So he says, We don't bid farewell to God's glory and ask only what's expedient for us. Rather, we have pointed out that there's this difference. God specifically claims the first three petitions and draws us wholly unto himself to prove our piety in this way, then he allows us to look after our, our own interests, yet under this limitation, that we seek nothing for ourselves without the intention that whatever benefits he confers upon us would show forth his glory, for nothing is more fitting than that we live and die to the Lord. So to pray this prayer isn't to be self-consumed, it's not to be demanding, gimme, gimme what I want. It's actually, when properly understood, is a way in which we promote God's glory. Because guess what, friends? God loves to give. He's glorified in giving. It's his nature to give. When it comes to food in the new world post-flood, God says to Noah, I give you everything. 
In the Psalms, Psalm 145, we're reminded that the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. When you think about making requests and petitions of, uh, and petitions of God, what, what stance do you think God has? What posture do you think he takes? Do you think it's this? I mean, Psalm 145 tells us, no, it's this. Open-handedness is natural to him. This is what he loves to do. He's glorified in giving. That's the gospel after all. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Paul adds to that, since he gave us Christ, how will he not also graciously give us all things? God loves to give. And so we glorify God when we ask him to do that which is most natural to him, to give. And so, when you understand this prayer, give us this day our daily bread in this way, you recognize it's a prayer that promotes God's glory. Secondly, if it's true that God will give us all things, that means he's willing to give us something as simple and something as small as bread. In other words, it's not a waste of God's time to hear you ask for and for him to give something as simple as bread. And so this teaches us that we need to expand our prayers or to widen our prayers. To understand this petition not only promotes God's glory, but it promotes expansive prayers. What do I mean by that? Well, sometimes I think we... Um, default to thinking that prayer is only reserved for certain spheres of life. You know, big things. We pray for big things. Um, sometimes the only thing that can drop us to our knees in prayer is a cancer diagnosis or the news of pregnancy or the need to, to um, you know, to pay the medical bills or, or the utility bills, and, and there's just not money there, and then we'll pray. Or we, we get a call uh, learning that a dear friend has, has died, and we pray. We're sad, so we pray. Or, or we need a new job, so we pray for that. Why are our prayers often so narrow, kind of so constrained to just these these big things, you know, when we're really happy or when we're really scared or when we're really worried. Why is that? Well, it means that we have not cultivated what we're told to cultivate in the Bible, which is a lifestyle of prayer. When Paul says that we should pray without ceasing, as he does in First uh, Thessalonians, he's talking about these kinds of prayers. Now, this is what he means. He Paul's talking about a life in which it's not strange to bring up to God something as simple as bread. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. Uh, it's not strange to bring anything to God, in fact, because we're accustomed to bringing everything to God. Do you see? We don't need to wait for those big moments of crisis to pray or celebration to pray because we've already established a lifestyle in which we're in constant communion with God. 
And so if we think it's odd to ask for something like daily bread, then we need to know God better. And the way we know God better is the way we know anybody better, the way we deepen any relationship. We talk with them, right? We need to talk to God more and recognize that there, there aren't certain categories where he's willing to listen to us. He has an open ear to us all the time, always. What a great God we have. What a friend he is. Another reason we perhaps struggle to bring up little things like, like bread is that we have a, a misplaced sense of deference. What I mean by that is, is we don't want to bother God. We don't, want to, we don't want to waste his time with our small concerns. You know, I get that all the time, by the way, as pastor. Do you know how many of you preface anything you ever ask me with, I know you're busy, but stop that. Stop it. That's what I'm here for. And how much more so God, who is everywhere present all the time for you. This is what he's here for. He's here for us, not some of the time, but all the time. Not just for certain things, but for all the things. And so I want to speak quite clearly to you, friends, tonight. The thing that I think will inspire us to a greater life of prayer, greater devotion in prayer, and to just pray more, is getting the truth that this petition is teaching us. And that is that there is nothing that you cannot bring to God. Or if we put it invertedly, you can bring to God everything. And when that clicks, I think we'll pray more. When we learn that he'll never turn us away and say, I'm actually busy. Today's not a good time. Or when he says, "Um, that's fine, but I'm going to hand that one off to my intern. When we realize he never does anything like that, well then we will come all the more. Recognize that it's, it is a ridiculous argument to say or to think, well, this isn't big enough for God, when God himself is giving us the rubric for what real prayer should look like, and he includes something as simple, something as mundane as bread. Jesus is saying, it's not a waste of God's time. In fact, I'm telling you to pray for it. He includes the small things in this pattern for prayer. God's commanding you to pray for the small things. And so do you see how this will change your your prayer life? When we realize that God himself has laid down a pattern for prayer that includes within it the invitation to pray for even small things, then we will pray for all things. Let me say that one more time. When we realize that God has laid down a pattern for prayer that includes an invitation to pray for small things, when we get that, we will pray for all things. And so, this petition not only promotes God's glory and that he loves to give, but it promotes expansive prayers and that it shows us God wants to hear from us about everything. There is no need that is too small for God. It's interesting, maybe there are some of us, or at some point in our life, we need to learn the opposite lesson, that there's nothing that's too great for God. But another equally erroneous way to live life is to sometimes think there are things that are too small for God. But that's not true either. 
Well, while this petition encourages us to bring to God anything and everything that we could ever need, it simultaneously instructs us to be content with what God gives us. So, the final thing this evening, the final thing, this is a petition that promotes a contented life, a contented lifestyle. Where do we see that? Well, first in that it's a petition for bread, not creme brulee or steak tartare, right? Um, I had to Google how to spell both of those things. I've heard of them, though. It is a petition for the most basic of nutritional necessities. The ancient church father Gregory of Nyssa wrote in the 4th century that, quote, we are commanded to seek what is necessary for the preservation of bodily existence by saying to God, give bread, not luxury, not wealth, not beautiful purple robes, not ornaments of gold, nor anything else by which we might be drawn away from its divine and worthier care, but we say give bread. So think, think with me, friends. Think about a time where you were discontented in life. Maybe you're in that season right now. I think about when you're grumpy or you're, you're anxious or fearful or, or you're angry with God. What has been the cause? I wonder if you recognize how regularly we are in fits of mental and emotional distress because we just don't get the things we want. Uh, because we have defined happiness in terms of acquiring certain things. Uh, uh, maybe it's being fulfilled in our job or, or having a spouse who's particularly attentive to our needs or, or getting that new gadget or, or toy or whatever it is. And James is helpful in diagnosing our problem. You can look there with me. It's James chapter 4. We read it earlier, but it's important to read again. James gives us this, yeah, this diagnosis. He says, this is why you're so un- unhappy. James chapter 4 in the first three verses. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now he connects it to prayer. You do not have because you do not ask. Well, the, the protest comes, well, I have asked. I still don't have it. Well, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So what's up with disappointment in life, the division we feel in our hearts or the, the, the division we experience between others? It's that we're filled with sinful desires. And when those desires go unmet, we, we freak out. James says the answer is prayer, but even that we can abuse. We ask wrongly. We just make it about what we want. Another pastor comments that our trouble is that we so often come to God with our greeds rather than our needs. So examine your life. Are you happy? Are you content? Maybe that's a better word. Are you content? If not, why not? What do you think that you are missing out on that to have would change everything for you, would make everything better? There's peace, there's tranquility and contentment in life when we learn to pray for bread and not BMWs. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. A second key in unlocking the lesson of contentment from this petition is in that qualifier daily. Daily. You see, it's not an ambitious prayer, is it? Give us this day our 
daily bread. Not, it's not give us the bread for the week, for the month. Not even for tomorrow. It's just what I need for today. Now, there's some old world wisdom in that. And, and that is that, you know, back when this was being written, uh, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have preservatives. So they would only make enough food for the day so that it wouldn't spoil It still happens to us today, though, even with our fridges and preservatives and Tupperware that, you know, burps to lock in freshness. How disappointed have you been when you had your your heart set on the leftovers that were in the fridge, but it wasn't closed tight enough, and now there's mold growing on it? Or you reach into the cruise household, our pantry, kind of we collect you know, old bags of bread, like you get to the end and you don't want the, the butt piece. So you just kind of wrap that up and throw it in. And we have like 10 of those or hot dog buns, whatever it is. And you go in to, to get a sandwich. Oh, I guess today I'm just using the leftover pieces, but they are now green, right? How disappointing that is. Well, that didn't happen as often in the ancient world because they rarely ever pre- prepared more food than was necessary. You know, Christians, we struggle, yes, like anybody, with having too little, but we also struggle with having too much. And so Proverbs 30, verse 8, which I think Jesus is probably alluding to here, says this, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Give me neither poverty nor riches, just give me my daily bread. It's a prayer that we would have just enough, no more and no less. Why is that? Because... When we come back for our food every single day, when we come back to God for our food, it's an opportunity for us to learn it's not the food we need, it's God we need. It's God we need. And we can forget that if we have a freezer overflowing with meals. This prayer is training us to rely on God as our only means of provision, to be content in Him. In who he is. And what he gives. That we would learn to hang upon him every single day. You know, there's an example where God's people were tested to do just that very thing when it came to bread. You know the story of Israel. And they, they've made their grand exodus out of Egypt. But they haven't made it to the promised land yet. Okay, so they, they're out of Egypt. But they're not to Canaan. And they're just in the middle of nowhere Without any food. But what does God promise to do? He opens up the heavens and he rains down manna, which we could just stop right there. Do we really think that God isn't going to give us our daily bread if he changes the weather to bring food for his people? And he does something even more bizarre than that for Elijah. You remember the story? Elijah is at the brook Kidron and, and uh, there's a famine in the land. And yet God appoints wheels on wings, meals on wings. Right? Ravens. We doubt that he'll give us our daily bread. John Newton captures uh, the, the, the amazing graciousness and generosity of God in that story with Elijah in a, a poem that he wrote to accompany one of his sermons. Uh, he writes, More likely to rob than to feed are ravens who live upon prey. But when the Lord's people have need, his goodness will find out a way. And this instance to those may seem strange who know not how faith can prevail. But sooner all nature will change than one of his promises fail. He will change all of nature 
He'll change the forecast so that we can say tonight we're getting bread to ensure that his promise to provide for his people will not fail. So we go back to Israel. God rains manna down from heaven. But do you remember the stipulation for Israel as they gathered it up? Get everything that you want, everything that you need for the day. They were not to keep any leftover for the next day. Why? It was an opportunity for them to trust. Will you trust that the heavens will open again tomorrow and there will be food again tomorrow? Will you look to God again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and every day? And if they got greedy and they took too much, they'd wake up in the morning and there'd be worms in their bread. So God's teaching them an important, difficult lesson. They were to rely on the giver and not the gifts that he gives. And perhaps that is even more difficult to learn in a world of supermarkets and Amazon Prime than when you're actually in the desert. When we come to God every day, day after day, for something as seemingly mundane as bread, we will learn that he's the one we need to get by, not the food. He's the one we need. We need him, and we can have him. He gives us Jesus, after all, the bread of life. And you can feed upon him, and you must feed upon him, always. It's as simple as opening up your Bible or opening up your lips and speaking to God. We can access that heavenly nourishment. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for the promises found in in this prayer that you have laid out for us. We do ask that we would take to heart its message, that we would learn what it means uh, to rely upon you. And not, not what you give, though you do love to give, but that we would rely upon you in all things. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.